Chapter 17 of What the White Race May Learn from the Indian by George Wharton James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17 The Indian and the Sanctity of Nudity. While adults of both sexes among all Indians wear either a skirt or a g-string, there is not the slightest hesitancy in allowing the young, both boys and girls, to run about in a state of nudity. Since we have sent white teachers and missionaries to the Indians, they are beginning to learn that somehow, though they can't sort it out just how or why, there is something indecent in allowing nude children to wander about their homes and villages. They are being taught to be ashamed. Their children are becoming sex-conscious, as are our white children, long before their time, and we are foisting on to them our hateful, impure, and blasphemous conception of nudity. For myself, I am free to confess that I have no sympathy with this kind of teaching. I think it unnecessary, and not only unnecessary, but a positive injury. I believe in the sanctity of nudity, especially in that of young children, and while with our present social customs we cannot allow our children to be nude or partially nude in public, I would that our minds were as clean in this matter as are those of the Indians with whom I have so long been acquainted. Whatever society may demand of us in public, there is no reason why, in private, both our children and ourselves should not spend a certain portion of every day, if possible, in contact with the direct rays of the sun and the air. Every school in the land should be so equipped, and our children and their parents be so trained, that, under proper direction, a certain part of every day the students should be so exposed. All know the benefit that comes from the exposing of the arms and legs to the sun and breezes at the seashore. Men, women, and children alike who flee the city for an annual holiday to the seaside return to their shut-in, civilized life with renewed vigor and health. Why not give some of this life to city children every day in the year? Even in eastern cities in winter, a solarium could be created in the top stories of the schoolhouses, and there, with every window wide open, the children clothed in the scantiest of garments, as at the seaside, could go through physical and breathing exercises, and romp or play games for half an hour, to their great benefit both of body and mind. We have for so long trained ourselves to the half-expressed belief that there is something wrong about nudity, that we find women's clubs draping statues, and organizations rejecting figures because they are nude, which all ages and all civilized people have accepted as pure and chaste works of art, I would not for a moment have it thought that I approve of all nude statues or pictures. Many of them have no virtue to commend them. Yet I would not indiscriminately condemn all works of art in the nude merely because they are nude. We have forgotten the appearance of a healthy body and feel ashamed to see one. By our mental attitude, 
we accuse the creator of indecency that male and female created he them. For not only do we veil the bodies of the opposite sexes from each other, which is a perfectly correct and wise thing to do, but daughters are ashamed to be seen nude by their own mothers, and mothers by their daughters. I believe in the sanctity of nudity. Let the sexes remain apart by all means, but let there be less of false shame when men see nude men, or women see nude women, or either or both see nude children. It is a fact declared by the most conservative of white explorers that the naked tribes of aborigines are the most pure, chaste, and truly modest. Our conception that because Indians are unclothed, they are therefore indecent and unclean, impure and unchaste, is a dirty conception, dishonoring to ourselves and our Creator. On y soit qui mal y pense, and to the pure all things are pure, are as true today as when they were first spoken and written. And while I am as opposed as is anyone living to nude pictures and statues that have nothing to commend them but their nudity, while I am strongly opposed to the promiscuous nudity, either in whole or in part, I am equally opposed to the mental attitude that nudity in itself is wrong, and that the Creator did not know His business when He created us both nude and of different sexes. Benjamin Franklin, John Quincy Adams, and many others of the great men of the world made it a daily practice to expose their bodies to the sun and the air. For years I have seized every proper opportunity to do so, such as when I took my fifteen days rowing trip down the Colorado River. When on the Salton Sea exploring trip, when out in the deserts, the canyons, the forests, on the mountain tops, I endeavored every day to give my body some exposure, and every night and morning, when camping out, before retiring and arising, I have a brief air bath, sometimes with vigorous physical exercises. Thus the power of God's own sun and air enter my body through every pore of the skin, and I enjoy a health, vigor, vim, and tingle of delight I can get in no other way. When I first visited the Avusapai Indians, all the men were nude part of the time, save for the breech-clout. In their dances, in some of which I participated, it was a delight to see the movements of their perfect muscles, their bronze flesh glistening in the sun or in the glow of the campfires and men, women, and children all bathed at the same time, in the clear waters of Avasu Creek, all the adults, of course, wearing either a short skirt or a breech-clout, but the major part of the body fully exposed. There was no immodesty and no thought of anything of the kind. Nudity or semi-nudity was taken as a matter of course, and neither by word or deed did anyone seem conscious of it. After vigorous swimming, the young men wrestled, the youngsters ran races, the men indulged in various games, their bodies still exposed to the sun and the air, 
and no one could fail to observe the health, vigor, and robustness that came from this habit of life. The Hopis trained their boys and young men to their morning runs over the desert in a state of almost complete nudity, and in their snake-dance races nothing but the g-string is worn, and people of both sexes gaze upon them with no thoughts of immodesty. Modesty is a condition of soul, and has nothing to do with the exposure of covering of the body. One may be a Godiva and be far more modest than another who veils not only her whole body, but even her face. And for myself, I wish to record my conviction that it would be far better for the morals of civilized man if he would bring up his children of both sexes to recognize and know the sanctity of nudity, rather than to cover the body as he does, and to affirm by his words and suggest by his demeanor that he regards an exposed body as indecent. A small trunk can always be worn, and this suffices for every purpose of true modesty. In many of the leading sanitariums of the world, the patients are required to expose their bodies to the sun and air for a certain length of time, daily. Here is a struggling to get back to a natural condition, an almost essential condition to the attainment and retention of perfect health. Of the outdoor gymnasiums for men and women at the Boulder Sanitarium, Colorado, Dr. Howard F. Rand thus writes, Here the men patients, clothed with simple trunks, bask in the sunshine on the sand which covers the ground, follow the trainer through the different lines of gymnastic work, finally plunging into the pool and coming out ready to be dried and thoroughly rubbed. Donning their simple apparel, they can, if they choose, proceed up the mountain and gather beautiful wild flowers and rest the eye on the surrounding scenery. The outdoor gymnasium is especially helpful in the treatment of women. It is very difficult to get them to dress properly when taking physical exercise, and they are so afraid of exposing themselves to the sunlight and ruining their complexion. But the beautiful physique of some of our young women who have trained in this line, and the assurance that they can so develop themselves, lead them to make short trips to the gymnasium, and gradually they grow willing to be delivered from close wrappings, and expose themselves to the sunlight. The pleasure is enticing. Enjoyment of exercise in this place, without the restriction of tight clothing, rapidly increases, and desired results are obtained by this means in less time than in any other line of training. The great essential is to have the person in natural condition when exercising, so that all the organs of the body may move freely and naturally, without let or hindrance. Number seems to increase the enchantment. Hence, the more readily do the timid and backward take the first steps. At first it is impossible for many to expand at the waistline, but a jump into the pool, the temperature of the water being 70 to 75 degrees, 
causes them involuntarily to inflate the respiratory organs, and through this and special training deep breathing becomes habitual in less time than it would in any other way. We aim to have our patients spend at least one hour twice a day, forenoon and afternoon, in the open-air gymnasium. Soon after beginning this course, the patient's skin, and mind as well, will be found clearing up. He will say his appetite is better, and that he sleeps more soundly, and is gaining weight and strength. The surface becomes brown in a short time, but as soon as pigmentation ceases, there is a natural pearly white hue, a sure indicator of health. These open-air gymnasiums are to be found at the leading sanitariums of the world, thus clearly showing that the Indian idea of nudity has the sanction of the highest and wisest medical opinions of the white race. The body is a sweet, a precious, a beautiful expression of God's thought. It was and is intended by the divine as the house of the mind, the soul, the immortal part of the human being. Paul expressly declares it is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Every part of it is beautiful, every part God-given. In health it is the most perfect machine ever designed, and the most beautiful. Every function it performs is a marvel, every power contained within it a miracle. How obviously wrong, then, is anything that disparages, lowers, offends the high and supreme dignity of this glorious structure? Yet we are ashamed of it. We apologize for it. We teach our children to be ashamed of it and to cover it as an evil thing. End of chapter 17